0: Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company, a show where we discuss all the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. We talk about politics, religion, and all the other things that truly matter. And now, here's your host, Scott Wingerter.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to a special edition of Impolite Company. I'm your host Scott Wingeter. Today on the program we're going to be covering the uh, March 1st primary results uh, throughout the state of Texas and going down into our local races as well. Uh, On uh, the show today we have special guest uh, Jonathan Houlihan who is running for uh, Congressional District uh, 8. We have President of the Hispanic uh, Conservatives of Montgomery County, Mariana McGuire, and our uh, my personal friend and uh, fellow Politico, Colton Rucker. Thanks for everybody for coming on the show. Thanks so, having us. yeah. So, let, all right, March first primary, Texas first in the nation uh, primary for the midterm elections, 2022. Uh, how did we do? Let's let's get into it. Let's start with uh, I'd say right at the top, the governor's race.
2: I was, uh, I was surprised with the numbers that Governor Abbott received, especially here in Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at the polls every day, and there was not a lot of overt Abbott supporters. I mean, I didn't see a lot of signs. I didn't see a lot of, uh, at the various events, they were trying to sign up volunteers. I didn't see a line for that. So I was surprised by those numbers. And uh, I think from the grassroots perspective, the energy on the ground was really with you know, Huffines, West, and even Prather to a certain extent. So I was surprised by that uh, that number.
1: I I was really shocked um, that, you know, especially at the end there where those three, West, Huffines, and there were basically running around. We had them uh, at the Hispanic Conservatives uh, meeting in, what was that, January? Right, right, candidate uh, forum. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my big takeaway from that was all three of these guys up here on stage— they were all campaigning together they were all the same candidate <laughs> their, their policies were exactly the same it was how do you want it delivered and packaged
3: absolutely um what i found interesting is uh the three of them had the same message right mm-hmm. they really spoke to the voters uh they got to the grain of what's important to us securing our borders uh fair elections you know everything everything that we really look for and stand for uh And the gentleman, you know, the governor, Abbott, never campaigned. Mm -hmm. We didn't see him. He didn't reach out to the Hispanic community, at least not in Montgomery County. Um, So I was really surprised. Surprised by the numbers, but not surprised uh, because that's that's a result of of having deep pockets, right? A big purse.
0: Well, deep pockets and how quickly people can forget about all the woes that we were complaining about from Abbott last year Mm -hmm. and the year before that. And just how quickly the narrative can shift from, oh, you know, these guys seem like they're going to be able to pull a lot of votes. Things are going to change. It's going to be super dynamic. You know, all the polling and different articles out there talking about how Allen was pulling these votes and different things were happening. And then the election happens and he pulls in almost the same number of votes that he had running against a no non-profile, no high-profile candidate in the last election. Mm-hmm.
2: And he still almost pulls in the same amount of votes. Think about, think about the... The vaccine mandates, though, I mean, how many people, from my legal perspective, my practice, seeing all these folks get laid off or quit or forced to take a jab to keep their job, and then Governor Abbott could have called a fourth special session, could have created a constitutional crisis with the federal government to force the federal government and the state into this crisis of, okay, we're going to tell these companies you cannot uh, vaccine uh, your employees with the like they did in Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis. People just forgot about that. Just I just completely mm-hmm. forgot about it. It's amazing to me.
1: I might break some hearts here uh, of my fellow Texans, but uh, I don't generally say this out loud. But I'm from Pennsylvania. Hey, listen, I got here as fast as I could, guys. Okay, <laughs> but uh, you know, I go home and I visit my parents who still live in Pennsylvania every summer. And it was what was funny to me was the COVID uh, executive orders that uh, Governor Abbott passed here in the state of Texas. Were identical to the same executive orders that Governor Wolf passed in Pennsylvania, Uh, you know. Just the only big difference was down here in Texas, we didn't listen to them, (laughs) whereas in Pennsylvania, everyone's like, "Oh, I better do this." But this brings up a point that you know everybody thinks the world of Governor Abbott outside of Texas politics, but all the politicos here in Texas that I know. We're not a huge Abbott supporter. I mean, I was a delegate to the state convention in uh, 2020. And there was rumors going around. And I think if we'd met in person, this probably would have happened. But because we were on a Zoom meeting, it didn't end up... uh, manifesting at all but there were they were talking about censuring governor abbott at the republican state convention in 2020 and so to go from that in august of 2020 to him winning 66.5 percent of the vote especially after he handled the way that he handled covid the way that the you know entire electric grid was four minutes away from complete malfunction um We have a short-term memory. It's, you know, elephants never forget, except for when they do. (laughs) But, you know, like
2: she said, you know, the deep pockets, it's really hard to overcome, you know, whatever he spent, probably $50 million. I don't have that number offhand.
1: Uh, I do. He spent, Abbott spent $37.93 million. Huffine spent $14.45 million. West spent $2.19 million. And Chad Prather... Came in with a whopping one hundred and sixty-four thousand eight hundred and sixty-three dollars that he spent.
2: And, uh, wow! And Rick Perry, the not <laughs> Governor Rick Perry, but the other Rick Perry, he probably spent zero dollars. Yeah, two percent.
1: I have I have no data on how much
0: he he did spend, uh, but that cracks me up every time that I see it. <laughs> yeah, and you have to ask yourself how many voters going to the voter booth saw the name Rick Perry, and honestly, just because there's. You're uneducated voters, even in the primary, coming in and uh, not sure what they're looking at, right? And voting for Rick Perry just based on that alone. I knocked on
2: so many doors as a candidate, and people would say, I had no idea Rick Perry was running again. I thought he couldn't run. And, you know, I would tell them, well, it's a different Rick Perry. Sometimes I wouldn't have the heart to tell them because, you know, I'm trying to advocate for myself, and I don't want want to make them feel stupid. Sure, right. And, you know, I'm sitting there on their doorstep, and I make them feel stupid. So I, I would sometimes not tell them.
0: Forty nine thousand six hundred and thirty one votes for Rick Perry. (laughs) And one of the big things I think why Abbott pulled away so many of the votes or they stuck true to him, even with all that happened in the last years, is the Trump endorsement, I think, played a huge role Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. in keeping those votes with him, even for people who with other candidates, right, they're going with hardcore conservatives. But for Governor Race, they're going with uh, Governor Abbott simply because, well, that's Trump's guy. Yeah. And I know so many people that did that. Yeah, and then they were literally like, well, I'm going to keep my vote with him because that's where Trump's keeping his, you know, endorsement with. And, I'm, you know, it was surprising to me. I'm like, you've got these hardcore conservatives that never would have broke rank like that during a time of crisis and been going a different direction. And yet they're, you know, they're so willing to just easily,
2: oh, no, I'm going to still vote for him. And then you see the corporate media complex kind of back up. uh governor Abbott, you know, Oh, Mm -hmm. governor Abbott, he's the only one that can beat Beto. I mean, that's the narrative that the Mm -hmm. corporate media complex is pushing out because they want, in most circumstances, they want the least conservative person, or at least the person that's not going to secure the border and do the vaccine Mm -hmm. mandate ban and things like that, that were really important to the conservative movement. So you had that going for governor Abbott as well.
3: I think one of the things, and it's a recurring theme, um, in politics, whether it's this past primary race or, um, any other and, and more to come, uh, Name recognition. Some people don't have to really run, right, or campaign. Their name, their family name carries them. Like the Kennedys. How do you take down a Kennedy, right? Once you get one in, a couple generations, they're still in.
2: Mm-hmm. How do you
3: take that? So well, name recognition.
2: Well, Bush, I mean. Right. Oh,
3: Bush. With, absolutely. With, with, yep. with
2: yeah, the, yeah. the attorney general race. Mm-hmm.
3: Right, right. Yeah, or, recurring. Or recurring. a name like Luttrell.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's pretty hard to overcome.
3: Yeah, yeah, name recognition, deep pockets, and then we'll we'll talk about endorsements as well. Yeah, endorsements so, carry a lot of weight. So thir- we gained,
1: uh, it, we in a general sense, the GOP, uh, specifically with the governor's race, uh, from 1.3 million votes in 2018, Abbott actually lost a little bit, uh, but not much. He got 1,042,205 votes in 2022. And he had some big-name people three big name candidates that are running against him in a primary. Yeah. And overall we, we ended up gaining 347,357 votes from primary to primary. So we are trending in the positive, uh, you know, and I think that that's, that's going to be huge. Uh, that's a huge indicator to me, uh, as to whether or not we're heading in the right direction. And it's like, where are these votes coming from? Um, um, You know, we have, here we are, a a difference of 364,833 votes that uh, from the 2018 primary to the 2022 primary in the governor's race. Um, Is it our population that's increasing? Is it Democrats jumping ship and joining the GOP? Is it the Hispanics, you know, in the Rio Grande Valley swap? Is it a
3: combination of all three? What do you all think? If you ask a Democrat, um, Voter suppression, right? It's, it's election <laughs> integrity, the law that was passed. Uh, it's all voter suppression, and we weren't going to show up in numbers. Mm-hmm. Our numbers were supposed to drop uh, because we can't vote or we're scared you yeah. know, of, of voting. How'd that work out, right? Our numbers, our numbers increased significantly
0: for both Republicans and Democrats. That's right, right. Yeah. both sides. That's true, both sides. Like yeah,
2: it's probably a lot of population growth, um, you know, especially. In open primary i wonder on the gop side if you have a lot of democrats voting uh for republicans as well mm. that uh traditionally they wouldn't but uh, we saw a little bit of that in our race but uh, across the board with an open primary democrats in a, a congressional race or any other kind of race where their candidate doesn't have a chance are are going to vote for the most moderate republican they can so that could play into a lot of factors as well sure yeah for sure uh,
1: okay so Abbott ends up getting 66% of the vote. West Huffine's there I thought that, you know, between the three of them, they might be clawing at about 50%, um, and, you know, them splitting the vote pretty much guaranteed, in my mind, prior to the to the actual election day numbers coming in, that Abbott was going to be the guy that's going to win this primary. Uh, but even my estimations there were way off. We're talking, what, altogether a third of of the vote and Abbott comes away with two thirds. You know, he, he killed it. Um Lieutenant Governor Patrick, let's let's move on to the Lieutenant Governor's race, won with seventy four point seven percent of the vote. And uh the champion of the Texit move it, uh, Daniel Miller, pulled in nine percent.
3: Thoughts? I think that was uh that was kind of expected. Um, yeah, yeah. His his conservative uh, record, um, leading you know the Texas Senate, mm-hmm. that was going to be hard
0: hard to beat, right? Election integrity, the heartbeat bill, CRT. Yeah, that was going to be tough. Right. And although he never negatively talked towards Abbott during the COVID response, mm-hmm. he was definitely not a proponent for what he was putting forward, and made sure to kind of keep a distance from what he was doing if he was going to bury himself with that. And I thought that was always interesting during that time, you know, he wasn't ever trying to like go gung ho with what he was doing. And I think that played a huge role in the outcome of his election for sure. It's because people still believed that he was sticking to his conservative values, even during that time.
2: Uh, I mean, just a general observation, I'm surprised with the establishment or the the candidates that have been in for a while, just the level of high amount of votes they got. I think what I experienced was a high level of voter dissatisfaction with the status quo. So, I'm surprised by the the number, not surprised by the result, but the, mm-hmm. the number with Abbott and Patrick.
1: Yeah, I think somebody like Daniel Miller was just doing that. I mean, dude, he's a smart man. I've met him. I've, I've talked with him. Um, there's no way that he could have possibly thought that he was going to unseat Lieutenant Governor Patrick. But, you know, I think he got a lot of attention for what he's, of course, most passionate about, which is the whole Texan thing. So um, that race, no surprises there. Attorney General, though... Ken Paxton ended up having to go off to a runoff uh, with George P. Bush, who is the son of former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and he's the nephew of uh, President George W. Bush. Thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, I thought that was really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, still am, Team Eva Guzman. Yes, absolutely. She was or is the first uh, Latina. Hispanic to ever get on the Texas Supreme Court. She was appointed by former Governor Rick Perry at the time, but she just had the most experience. She just mm-hmm. was the most qualified. But you have Bush running on his name, right, like we talked about, and Paxton, you know, with his history, he was still, you know, quite popular. Um, I was disappointed. I, I don't know Louis, Louis Gohmert, mm-hmm. but my one observation was... When people wait till the 11th hour to join a race, you know, and, and you just take uh, a, a chunk of the efforts that candidates who've been there from the beginning, you know, have been have been right. doing. I think that's a, it's a shame. It's a shame. So that's just something that I just don't uh, that, that that's a, a negative for me as a right. voter.
1: I love yeah. Louis Gomert and I love Louis Gohmert in Congress. That's that's my position. You know, Louis Gohmert does great things in Congress. I, I I'm a big fan of. I was confused as to why he felt called to throw his hat in the ring for the AG job. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know people that know him and uh, apparently he prayed about it and that's what he, he felt called to do. Um, but yeah, I was disappointed as well. I was mm-hmm. really hoping to see somebody like Eva Gooseman at least getting this runoff. I would much rather prefer that than George P Bush for right. sure. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: it's easy to say that if Louis Gomer wouldn't have run, that probably would have been the end result based yes. on the type of people that would have voted for Louie. She would have definitely pulled in a majority of those votes, probably between her and Ken both, but still kept that race the way it is. But he definitely is the one that pushed this thing towards that direction mm-hmm. for sure. Because it just, his hardcore counties is where he pulled in all his votes mm-hmm. just right there and in, in the middle of it.
1: Yeah. CD one or two, one of the, I can't remember what it is, but yeah. Uh, the Tyler area. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Yeah, I mean, and George P. Bush. I mean, his legal experience. I think his law license was deactivated for several years, and he just got it reactivated. So that scares me. Um, I, you know, from in my capacity as a private lawyer, I've worked with uh, Kim Paxson's office, and they've always been very responsive and very good. And I think they have uh, Texas' best interests at heart. At least that's my experience. My concern is what we heard on the campaign trail from not only Eva Guzman but also from Louis Gohmert know there's going to be some kind of indictment that comes down on compacts i mean we've been hearing that for years Mm -hmm. my concern is now that happens uh in the 11th hour before Uh the runoff and now you have george bush uh and not george bush um george p bush Bush, excuse Uh me george p bush stepping into that role with limited experience, and he's the ultimate establishment candidate. Yeah. Uh. So that's my only concern with the race. So I would have much rather had Eva Guzman in a in a runoff if there was a runoff. Yeah. But, uh, again, Ken Paxton. I think he's he's done a good job from my perspective. Yeah.
1: I would agree with that, and I think Ken's probably, if, assuming that you know the powers that be aren't out with daggers uh, for him, as you're suggesting. I think in May he he easily cleans up that race and, and wins. I agree. Um, let's move on to congressional district two, which now is, uh, thanks to redistricting a part of Montgomery County. So that's Dan Crenshaw's district, uh, that was down around like the airport and Aldine around beltway eight down there in the spring area now has come up, uh, to encompass, Mm -hmm. uh, most of the woodlands, even, uh, right up to right where I live here, uh, right off of, you know, up the 1488 corridor, uh, into, um, 2928 i think that's the boundary uh
2: yeah and it took over all my hometown where i grew up to mm-hmm. uh all that whole east montgomery county area that that's where i grew up my whole life that's where all my family and friends are so it took over that area as well
1: so crenshaw had uh, a, a whole slew of people some of these people were originally going to be cd8 candidates that then had to switch over to congressional two um specifically uh Jameson Ellison and uh Martin uh, Etwa. Um I love, I've met Martin, he's a really swell guy. I was I was glad to see him do as well as he did, but you know, no one's going to take down Dan Crenshaw on that district. You have him winning 74.7% of the vote. Jamison Ellison pulled in 16.1 and Martin pulled in 4.7. Mm-hmm. Uh was anybody surprised by the by those numbers?
2: Uh, I was a little surprised by the, again, you know, there was a lot of voter dissatisfaction out there mm-hmm. um, in, in, in the circles I run in at least with Dan Crenshaw with some of the, the either, either real or perceived action or inaction that he's taken on certain bills in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, again, at the end of the day, there was Milam as well. I think he was right in there under uh, Martin at 4.4. I know all these guys, Yeah, but uh, I was surprised by the the, the number. But again, you have to. It's going to take you a couple of years to knock out an incumbent. You're going to have to have really good candidate uh, that knows policy, knows law, to mm. be able to take out an incumbent like Crenshaw. And they have to build a fundraise. At the end of the day, there's too many uninformed voters out there, everywhere, everywhere. They don't. All they know is name recognition. They show up at the poll and they vote. I mean, I can't tell you how many people showed up at the poll and said, "I'm voting straight line Republican in the primary." Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody is a Republican. In the primary. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, not to disparage anybody, but we have to do a better job as conservatives as educating folks mm-hmm. on the issues. We have to do a better job as, you know, when we block walk talk about you know the issues and not just vote for this guy. He's on the slate. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in that area. But I,
0: I think endorsed I endorsed by, I can't stand that one. Yeah, yeah. endorsed by and Christian Collins campaign. I'm not talk about that mm-hmm. now, but that whole emphasis of endorsed by, that being your leading frame. We're mm-hmm. trying to understand well, why does that even matter? And then these type of elections, in two. We're seeing a lot more of that trying to just get voters to turn out, endorsed by, endorsed by of somebody they might know, you know, vote for this guy. Cause you might know this guy.
2: It's like in the military, you know, when we were in you know, in the Navy or the air force or whatever, mm-hmm. what's the, so what, you know, what's the, so what of this candidate? Well, this candidate supported this bill, which restricts your due process rights. Do you know what due process is? That means you're right to go, before a court if you have some fundamental right taken away. Do you like that? No, I don't like that. Well, don't vote for this candidate then. I mean, those are the mm-hmm. kind of strings we need to pull on some of these races and we have to, it has to be a long-term campaign. Well, I mean,
1: I think that we should probably try to do something, like you said, to educate people. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, starting a podcast, okay? Follow me here.
2: <laughs> Good idea.
1: <laughs> Thanks. CD8, let's let's go right with that. I'm sure you have some opinions about that, Mr. Hulan.
2: Yeah. I had a, uh, front row seat for that race. Uh, look, we, at the end of the day, it was hard for me to find a lane, uh, with all the crazy endorsements going up. Mm-hmm. I mean, endorsements, endorsements, people were always asking me, go get endorsements. I like, I just want to deliver my message to the people, my message of limited government and individual liberty. And that sold a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people want to hear that. That's, that's me. That's who I am. Um, but I didn't have the money. I mean, I had Mm $200,000 and I was facing down millions and millions of dollars of individual expenditures from outside PACs, the congressional leadership fund. It's hard to combat that. Mm -hmm. You know, we got a good chunk of votes. I mean, we got almost, I think 13%. 12.7. Yeah. So that was, we're very proud Mm -hmm. of that for the money we spent dollar for dollar. Now, um, you know, I entered the race early. These guys jumped in on, on top of it and they had, there were folks that wanted them to be the next congressman mm-hmm. and it was, it was hard for me to combat that.
1: You know, uh, there are two things I want to say about this race, uh, with D eight. Um, you know, I'm very impressed with what, uh, Latrell did to have, there was 11 of you guys, uh, going up against, you know, going for this race, uh, for the seat and, uh, for him to get 52.5% is, I don't, you don't need to agree with the guy's politics. You don't have to like the guy. You, you know, you could have voted for whoever you want, but you have to be, if you're being intellectually honest, stand back and say, wow, that was impressive uh, to have that crowded of a field and and to actually come away with that not having a runoff. Um, the the other thing I want to say, and it's not just because we're friends, uh, but I'm super impressed with what you were able to do uh, with your campaign. I thought that you, especially in that last debate were highly polished i think you came off winning that debate hands down uh and a lot of people that i've talked to agreed with that and i for you to be able to do what you did in that race with the resources that you had i mean christian collins uh has been you know eyeing this seat for you know 10 years now (laughs) and you know you you're within striking distance of of christian you know the, the quote runner up
2: Yeah, I mean, I think with Luttrell, I mean, they dumped in almost a million dollars in TV in the last, and not just cable TV. Mm -hmm. We're talking network TV, the most expensive TV you can get. So it's really hard to overcome when a a super PAC puts a million dollars in the last week of the race to get people's name ID through the roof. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can knock as many doors as I want. Uh, it's just not going to overcome that. There's just too many uninformed voters and I'm not taking anything away from, from them, but uh, it's hard to overcome that amount of outside money in our district. I'm very proud of the volunteers that we had. I'm very proud of the message. Uh, we have a lot of problems in this country. I mean, look at what's going on in Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the, I mean, I'm scared for our country. I pray for our country because the, the moves that are being made, not only from the congressional standpoint, but the executive, the judiciary across the board, we have serious problems that require serious solutions and that's why I ran for Congress because I want to be a a part of the the solution not part of the problem Mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully I want Mr. Luttrell to do well Uh, I want all uh, I want Mr. Crenshaw to do well we want our leaders to do well but I'm fearful that it's going to be more the same and uh, we're never going to break this mold if we continue to have the same.
3: How do we get them to to be more conservative? to be more aligned with our values, the real voters, not the ones that you buy or the endorsements that, so just just quickly, endorsements to people like me mean nothing. All right, because you can have a heavyweight person say, hey, you know, I, I like a godfather, right? I, I give you the blessing and the nod. Um, but you can't start off or lead, you know, a, a campaign or even a forum by saying, "Hey, I'm endorsed by these 20 people, and this is this is why you should vote for me." As a Hispanic, you know, th- um, I guess any voter really endorsements don't mean anything. You can carry 20 endorsements. It's your platform, your values, and what you're going to do for conservatism, for you know me, people like me, and my values. So, um, Luttrell and Crenshaw, how do we? Um, Encourage them and make sure that they vote more conservatively or vote conservative. Period. You, you what do have, you think? You have yeah. to have
2: a true grassroots campaign that's that's well funded to hold them accountable. Mm. Uh, you have to take more than, you know, twenty five percent of the vote. You you have to make it close. Uh, you have to, in a primary season, you you should push our primaries back to hold incumbents accountable and well funded candidates accountable, to where they have longer than a, a few months you know, the grassroots candidates to really establish themselves in redistricting years. So those are some things, um, just hold them accountable and we have to educate the, our citizens Mm -hmm. on what's going on. I mean, all of these guys run on talking points. It's so sad to me. And that's why I did well in the debate because I don't Mm -hmm. do talking points. I do issues. I do constitution. I do law. I do policy. I spent my entire life doing that. I'm trying to get past the talking points. So I think we, we need to run better candidates that can go deeper than just talking points. We need to educate the the populace.
1: That's why I had you on my show. And I, you know, when I have my guests on my show, it's not like, a, okay, so like, you know, you, if it's a five minute interview, like give me your talking point. No, we we sat down for an hour and went deep on the political theory and philosophy that you hold dear. And, you know, we made the pitch as to why you should vote for Jonathan, because this is what he believes in. And, you know, that's something that I'm trying to do with these candidates uh, and will continue to do in the future is I want to vet these guys and get them on there and let them, the audience, And the voters see them for who they are and what they actually believe. You're not going to be able to walk into this studio and sit down for an hour and just spit out talking points. I'm going to catch you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and
2: and just to talk about Ukraine a little bit. um, Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to hijack the the election season, but look, look at what's going on with our administration with Joe Biden. He is now, they've done maximum economic pressure, which I agree with. Look, I worked in that space. For a while with OFAC and I've worked on sanctions and it's a very effective tool in your foreign diplomacy bag. It is. But in this situation, and we should do that, but now you have Russia moving towards China and their financial banking system, Mm -hmm. their credit system. I'm wondering if anybody in our national government has thought about the second and third order effects of the devaluation of the dollar, Mm. uh, the world moving towards the Chinese dollar and not the American dollar. And what second and third order effects that could have this goes
1: all the way back to the 1970s when we started opening up diplomatic relationships with china all right henry kissinger said that the way that we need to pit russia and china against each other is we need to be better friends with each one of them separately than they are with each other
2: yes. and we've totally
1: abandoned that
2: now and, and my concern is that our future with supply chain, the dollar devaluation will continue. And I want people in Congress, I want Mr. Luttrell to understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope he understands that. I hope other members on the Armed Services Committee, the the banking committees, the financial committees understand these issues because if they devalue our dollar and completely wreck our economy, our kids have no future. So yeah. That's all. I'll say None. About
3: that. yeah. yeah. We can't come back from that. Latin America is a great example. Mm hmm. They keep uh, uh, revaluing their currencies. Uh, Venezuela means nothing. Their money, you know, might as well wear it because it's just one day to the next, one hour to the next. It means nothing. Uh, Nicaragua, where I was born, it's the same thing. You can carry bags of money because it's worth nothing. Um, Argentina. Argentina continues to devalue, you know, the very socialist uh, down there. So we're, we're not heading... In the right direction. In
2: the Weimar Republic, you know, Mm -hmm. before the rise of Hitler, they the hyperinflation they had wheelbarrows to buy a loaf of bread. And what gives rise to economic uncertainty is extremism Mm -hmm. uh, and violence, and nobody wants that in this country.
0: Definitely. So let's move on to um, real quick. One, yeah, go ahead. Should make on this uh, on this right here is the disparity between Morgan and Christian Collins spending relatively the same amount of money or putting towards the campaign, but How is it that he kept it in such a littered race from going to a runoff? I think we might need to just talk on that just a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What separated those two candidates? Because, Mm. I mean, everybody expected this to be a much closer race, and definitely everyone was predicting somewhat of a runoff after this because of so many candidates. Um, But it's important. Both of these guys are high-profile candidates, both wanting the seat and willing to spend any amount of money to get it. Uh, So I think it's important to maybe break that down why this happened. I mean, how did he pull off 52-plus percent of the vote in order to
2: keep that from happening?
1: Right, and Collins only gets Um,
2: 22.1%. One thing I observed on the ground is, and this is just in general an issue we need to address in Texas, when you have an open primary state and you have these congressional districts drawn, not only Republican but Democrat, plus 30, plus 28, plus 25, you know the Democrats are not going to run a serious candidate mm-hmm. against uh, that Republican that's spending $2, 3000000 million on a race. So what would you do if you're a moderate? And I've had friends tell me this. I've seen it firsthand. If you're a moderate Democrat or even a Democrat, you're going to vote for the least uh, conservative person in the race, perceived or not. And you have two candidates, myself and Mr. Collins, or Freedom Caucus guys, which are more conservative than, mm-hmm. we'll say, Mr. Luttrell. You're going to have Democrats naturally vote for Mr. Luttrell. So that could explain some of it. I've seen it at mm-hmm. the poll. I saw it. You had a lot of Democrats voting in our primary uh, for Mr. Luttrell. This yep.
1: goes all the way back to the, I'm going to pull a, an old one out here from, uh, hat tipped to Rush Limbaugh, Operation Chaos 2008. Democratic primary everybody remember that that was fun that's exactly what he was advocating for for Republicans to do is uh to uh sink Hillary and then of course we got stuck with Obama so
2: but, but that did happen in our race we did have yeah. Democrats voting in the, in our primary for congressional district date I mean that's a, that's a fact I've, sure? I've heard about mm-hmm. on the ground especially in San Jacinto County um
0: independent voters too
2: yeah, they were, they were voting, so that could explain some of the the push over 50%, because uh, those are Democrats that weren't accounted for in my poll, mm-hmm. weren't accounted for in Mr. Collins' poll. I mean, we, we ran a poll in the last two weeks, and they had Latrell at 28%. They had, this is my poll, we had Collins at 15 and myself at 15 So that's where we were. So there was so many undecideds out there, and I think that's accurate because Mr. Latrell's campaign did a blitz of a million dollars in the last two weeks to grab those undecideds, And then he got over 50%. Um, That's why we felt confident we would make the runoff. And that's kind of why I pushed more towards Collins, uh, going after Collins, you know, not negative campaigning, but Mm issue-based. And because I was trying to make that second place because we did not see the numbers that would support getting over 50%. Well,
0: and speaking of negative campaigning, I think it was interesting to see that after January, when the whole thing with Ted Cruz, you know, went down and all that information. And of course, that was his lead endorsement, right, Collins? Um, it was a, it was interesting to see his campaign shift to a more of a general election campaign versus a Democrat. And I think that was where his campaign really lost some momentum is when he started targeting Morgan Luttrell as a complete left-wing crazy man and all of the ads and everything he was running and the misinformation about him and who he is as a person when the guy has no voting record, right? He's, mm-hmm. not, he's not a politician. So you're saying things about somebody, well, for somebody who's an educated voter like myself, that kind of stuff, you know, distances me from a candidate. Okay. You're willing to just do anything to win is what you're after here. And so you're trying to paint somebody in a bad light. You're trying to paint things that are not who he is. And you're also calling yourself the Trump like candidate, right? You have to be careful with that terminology he was using in his campaign. But then you have actually Morgan Luttrell who, you know, worked under Trump's uh, presidency. And so it's, it's really hard. You're telling somebody, well, well, how come, why would he have worked under Trump if he's all these things you say he is, so I think that misinformation campaign that he was running, trying to scare people away from Morgan Luttrell actually ended up doing the opposite and, and making people kind of like mm, maybe even some of the more serious voters say, you know what? I think I'm going to put my vote somewhere else rather than Christian Collins. Cause I know a lot of people who made a shift even towards your campaign near the end, just because those tactics were just so not something you'd expect to see in a primary, especially from candidates who mm-hmm. don't have a voting history um, in Congress. So I thought that was interesting.
1: One of the, one of the things that bothered me the most about something that Christian did what that I noticed, uh, well it was brought to my attention was he had a list of pastors that, you know, endorsed him. And a lot, I've spoken to a couple of the pastors on that list and they said, I didn't endorse him. Uh, I went to his prayer luncheon thing. I signed the book, uh, but I didn't come out and endorse him. I, our our church doesn't do that. For example, and that's just a kind of n- little dirty trick that I don't really
2: appreciate. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I the same. I'll yeah. tell a personal story and, and I'm not going to out my pastor because mm-hmm. uh, he's my pastor, Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he pulled me aside. Uh, we went to lunch It was right before the election. He pulled me aside and said, Hey, um, I'm really concerned about this email I received. And it was from one of our, uh, a member of our church. And they said, why haven't you endorsed Christian Collins? You're not on his list. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Can't you? You received an email from a member of our church that you're not on his endorsement list?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's really bothering me because this guy Collins has now torn me apart between members of our church and, and my flock." And he said, "I really respect you because you've never even brought up that you're running in church. Mm-hmm. Like you've never even raised that. People all know, but you don't use it as a as a platform." And mm-hmm. uh, but it really bothered me. And I said, "Well, don't." I don't want to be endorsed by you. Don't I church is church for me. It's different. It's for my family. We sit on the front row. Uh, it's a different experience, but, uh, that happened cause it, it, in my church, uh, the pastor brought it up to me. So. It's interesting.
1: Very. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, before we get too much in the weeds here, I want to, before we leave the congressional uh, races, I real quick want to talk about, uh, and in, in particular, I think you can bring a lot into this Mariana, yeah. Um, CD 15, CD 34, and CD 28, these are all very much into the whole Hispanic uh, swing, I guess we can call it. That's right. Um, we have uh, De La Cruz uh, and Flores running in. De La Cruz running in CD 15 won uh, 56.5% of the vote, and Flores uh, in CD 34 got 60.3% of the vote in the um, GOP primary. Um,
3: yeah, uh, um, I'm proud of that. Um, I know we're, see- we're seeing a Hispanic, um, red wave, right? A Hispanic, conservative, Hispanic uprising, if you will. Yeah. Right. Um, we are recognizing, we've always known that we're conservative. We've, we've always been conservative. Our values are, are very conservative. Our family, our faith don't mess with our faith. Don't mess with our family or don't mess with our children. You know, we don't kill babies and, and on and on we, we value um, the separation of of the government and, and the governed you know don't 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 govern us that's not what we're about um, it was just a matter of time I think with this whole illegal immigration and this um, not uh, invasion which is what it is invasion from other countries into ours because we're not protecting our border we don't really have a border anymore so it was just a matter of time before, Hispanics caught on and said, enough is enough. This is not what we stand for. And, and the Democrat Party, the uh, comicrat party, you know, they they really um, are worried. They're shaking in their boots yeah. because they recognize that their message of dependency, of, of mental slavery that they've pushed for decades on minority communities is not working so for them it's what do we do now how, how else can we sell you know the the oppressor oppressed message to keep ourselves in power
1: well yeah. anyway, they, they are shaking their boots CD 15 here's here's the results the Democrats uh, I, I t- tallied the total uh, primary votes for the Democrats and the total for the GOP in CD 15 which is going to be Dela Cruz um, She's within 2,835 votes of, you know, snagging that race. Mm. Uh, The Dems are up by that, by that much. That's, that's a competitive race right there. And we'll see what happens in November. You know, you're always going to have more, I think, voters coming out in the November race than you do in the primary per se. And so that, that would be interesting. That's, that's one of those dangerous, you know, seats, that can be easily flipped, I think, over to the GOP. I think in CD thirty four we have she's going to have a little bit more difficulty. That's a much more traditional, you know, Democrat seat. Uh, she she's facing she's got twenty thousand five hundred ninety two votes to catch up with. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it's showing that even down there in those Democratic strongholds, you we're still, you know, starting to chip away at, at those. And the other one is that could be rather interesting is uh, congressional district 28 which has been um, you know representative Henry quayar uh, um, has been representing that that congressional district for some time and now of course the FBI did a pre-dawn raid on his house uh, and what who knows what that's all about right Um, but he's facing a Democratic Socialist uh, backed by Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, AOC, and the and the Squad, and all those people. Yeah. Um, and they're heading off to a runoff race. Uh, Henry Cuellar got 23,625 votes. And uh, Cisneros, uh, the, Socialist, the Socialist, got 22,905 votes. Now, in the Republican primary for CD28... We, I forget the candidate who who is representing us there, but we got 25,000 votes. What What's going to happen here? And I don't know that this is going to happen, but if those 23,000 votes that uh, Mr. Cuellar got, how many of those are going to go over to the GOP if this socialist wins? Because he's a pretty, he's one of those, you know, um, you know, mansion kind of Democrats uh, where he's actually, and what I would refer to as a liberal, not a leftist. Um, so that will be interesting. So yeah, it'll be yeah, really mean, interesting. I mean, he, has, yeah.
2: he's spoken out publicly against the Biden administration and the border policy. So there, some have opined mm-hmm. that, uh, that's part of the reason for the raid, uh, how true that is. I don't know. Um, but it would be interesting to see the socialist, uh, take out queer, queer, he would probably end up endorsing one of the Republicans just as kind of payback, Yeah. Which, yeah. which would be interesting.
1: She, 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 Nipped at his heels last uh, election in 2020. She she was, uh, he just got over 50 percent in that Democratic primary last time, so and now she's pushed him off to a runoff.
2: And and I know Garcia, the uh, the Republican uh, candidate, and Sandra Witten, who's a friend of mine, they're in a runoff as well. And uh, you know Garcia is the kind of the Cruz-backed candidate, and uh, Witten doesn't have. The, the kind of establishment support that she does but she's you know she's been there before and she has a lot of local support mm-hmm. and um you know i think she, i think she's got a shot at at it as well so we'll see it'd be kind of mm-hmm. interesting to see how that that pans out in the republican uh, runoff
3: it's going to be ground game yeah for everything it's the ground game right mm-hmm. your grassroots efforts um, I think what's going to be interesting is if any of these ladies uh, win their race in November, they're going to be the first Hispanic uh, woman um, in that area, in their county, uh, to be a congressperson, congresswoman, uh, and a Republican. First Republican, but first Hispanic. You would have thought the Democrats would have had someone in there first, right? So it's, it's a great move. It's mm-hmm. a great move. Uh, Hispanics are finally uniting, coming together, waking up and, uh, the Democrats need to be scared.
1: Yeah. And I think yeah. with the numbers that we're seeing in these congressional districts that we've discussed, uh, the, the governor's race, mm-hmm. um, the, I mean, this myth, I'm going to just call it what it is, this myth of Texas turning purple and they're going to flip it over the blue. I, I, I just don't see the evidence to back that up anymore you know, it's not there.
2: Well, I mean, I would agree and disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree that, yeah, we have a lot of Republicans voting, but our real conservatives, you know, conservative policies being implemented, we still have an open border. We, we are behind Florida in every way on mm. Liberty. I mean, I know Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. we serve together, look at how he's leading uh, the state of Florida. So I would agree. We're not Turning purple-ish, but we're definitely not leading on liberty issues. We're not leading on conservative issues, and it would be nice te- where Texas—to lead on these issues and not be second sure. place behind Florida.
1: No, I 100% agree with that, and but I—I I don't know. I just, in my mind, I have a shift. You know, once that primary is over, it's like, okay, this is this is the army that we have. Let's let's go f- sally forth onto battle. And now my mind's on winning that November election. But, you know, I love it when the primary season comes. And In a lot of ways, I love primary season a lot more than I do the general election because that's when you really get to start fielding and building that army. And that's when I get really passionate about the stuff that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you know, I want Abbott to win. Mm-hmm. I don't want Beto to win. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, but we need to hold our elected officials accountable for the mm-hmm. promises they make, period.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to start having a segment on my show uh, here um, that I'm going to put in. Uh, maybe we can even run it right now um, of, you know, the clip with Beto saying, hell yeah, I'm coming for your AR-15. Hell yeah, I'm coming for your AK-47. I mean, I'm just going to loop that all day long. You know, that's a really good play here in Texas, pal. <laughs> yeah.
2: But- so- but there are a lot of great things happening. I think, um, you know, a move towards more Hispanics to the Republican Party is mm-hmm. a great thing because in, in a lot of ways, I mean, those the Hispanic values align with conservative values like pro-family, pro-religious, uh, you know, work hard. All the all the conservative values are the Hispanic values. So it's not a surprise to me that they finally realize like the Democrats are a fraud because we all have realized that. Right. Uh, so it's a really wonderful thing and I'm mm-hmm. very excited about the future.
1: Yeah, me too. All right, let's move on into our actual county now. Um, I'm going to real quick touch the uh, senatorial districts. Uh, we have SD4, SD7, and SD18 now after redistricting. So we were just all of Montgomery was under um, Brandon Crichton, uh, but now we have Senator Betancourt, uh representing part of the county and Senator Colkhurst as well. Um, all of them ran unopposed and so therefore all of them got 100% of the vote for the GOP primary and good job i like it. i've met every one of those state senators i like it. each one of them i think they're going to do great things and i look forward to seeing what else they have to uh you know offer our area here pretty simple um what's i think the most there's two house races that were very interesting, uh HD three and HD fifteen. Uh Cecil Bell polled um um an opponent, and so did Representative Toth. Uh, let's take House District Three first. Uh Mr. Bell won fourteen thousand votes, sixty-seven point two percent of the vote here in House District Three, and uh his opponent, Kelly McDonald, uh got with 6,840 votes. Um, I live in house district three and, uh, I, I was not surprised by those kinds of numbers. Um, frankly, anybody?
0: Yeah. Not surprised at all. Um, I think it's kind of what was expected. Um, I mean, from the from the layout of the election and what was happening, you know, and different things going on, uh, Cecil Bell's district, for instance, with, with that one, you have Kelly McDonald who started off really strong, but really early on, right? She started off, uh, what was it, August, I want to say? Yeah. She, she kicked mm-hmm. off her campaign, yeah. which I think came back to, to pretty much take her down. It was her demise because there was a big blank spot when it hit December till about January, all through January, that she didn't. I guess, have any funding in order to keep the campaign going the whole time and save the rest of her resources till right before the election. And yeah. I think that totally just because he went gun ho in December and finally started spending his money, which he has readily available mm-hmm. and was easily able to, you know, everyone's been fairly, it's one of those candidates, right? You're fairly happy with what Cecil stood for and what he's voted for. So it's uh there wasn't really a need for a shakeup in that race. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of people
1: misunderstand Cecil Bell, you know, uh, here in our, our district you know we have this you know somebody like steve toth who's out there and he's a warrior and he's in your face and he's on camera and he's standing up there fighting hard you see this right and then you have somebody like you know juxtaposed to cecil bell well cecil's not that kind of guy you know cecil's not going to get out there on camera and he's not going to be that kind of person but cecil's the kind of guy that you also need on the team right that's in the background Uh, And that he's, you know, he's in the background and he's doing all these other things behind the scenes. And, you know, I look at his voting record, you know, he's voting very conservative. He represents our area well. He, you know, I'm happy with what he's voting for. You know, it's just a different
0: kind of political animal, you know? He's, he's a, he's quiet, right? He's not your media heavy candidate. He's not Steve Toth. All right. Right. Steve, everybody knows Steve, you know, different things going on. But when it comes to Cecil's district, the people that do know him, he knows very well, very personable. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a big deal for him. His grassroots, I don't think he shakes anyone's hand who he's plan on being friends with. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy is, he comes off completely true to who he is. I mean, there's no, you know, getting around that at all. He's also super nice. Um, He values people. Uh, And and that really comes true for him. He doesn't really have to do a whole lot. Uh, If I can say so, I know both of them uh, personally, and they're just,
3: they're wonderful people. Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful people. Uh, They're both strong in their own areas, uh, qualified. Um, Mr. Bell, my gosh, uh, he just has such an amazing um, interest and willingness to help Uh, everyone, but specifically, certainly the Hispanic community. So I reached out to him the very first time I said, Hey, hi, my name is Mariana. Uh, I'm president of the Hispanic conservatives. I just want to introduce myself to you. We spent over an hour, hour and a half on the phone. Mm -hmm. He gave me his number. He's sent me, you know, give me some, would you mind giving me some feedback on some things about him? immigration or he's just so willing and so interested in helping the community period but certainly Hispanics as well so uh he is to me he's always been accessible but that's not my 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 voting district anyway well, um I have wonderful things to say so I wasn't surprised by the results what, I wasn't surprised I yet.
0: think is what it really is, is is you have a guy who doesn't have any aspiration for a bigger seat And is trying to do the best job he can do for his voting district Mm -hmm. for his area yeah truly representing the people in austin in his district without trying to get a whole bunch of other media attention in hopes to gain something bigger that's right and i think that's what does it his his network is dense it's everybody in the district everyone's connected to him and he's done a really good job with that and that's what happens when you have politicians who aren't just looking for the next step the next step the next step yeah and i will right. i, w- I want to say i know kelly as well and kelly's a wonderful
1: person really really nice lady um you know she d- has done a great job with the um at, you know montgomery county veterans park up in conroe um and her efforts in, in putting that together and she she was you know a, a good candidate but you know i just think at the end of the day she you know i didn't have a whole lot of she would have surprised me i'll put it this way you know, if,
2: if those numbers were flipped. Just generally it's, it's almost impossible to knock up an incumbent, you know, mm-hmm. unless they have some kind of scandal, yeah. uh, in the background. So it's really difficult because they have not only the financial support, but just a name ID. Yeah.
0: And, and, and from a, sh- a strategy background, you know, it's wondering where does that input come from where somebody targets a seat like that out of all the seats in the area, which you could kind of move into or play into, there's plenty of them that probably would have a lot easier chance at getting, especially, mm-hmm. but. To go against one of the, the biggest incumbent seats, you know that is, has one of the strongest voting uh, record behind him, and all these different things, it just seemed odd to be a seat that you would target,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, especially before we even had district maps. So, yes, I think it was important to note that she announced well before we actually had district maps, and then actually got a little frightened by the fact that things might actually change, and there was some stirring in her campaign that they weren't, whole, you know, sure that they've even spent money in the right direction. Mm-hmm.
2: So sometimes people run to run twice. So if Cecil Bell retires or something, you know, whatever happens, they're already kind of like a natural, Oh, I'm going to run again. And, and they'll already have a of support.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. And then the key is, you know, drawing that line. You have, you have so many of those elections you can do before you're known as the biggest loser. So you have, it's great. Your first one, you can do that with your second one. Even you can kind of play that game with. So when you start getting that third, the fourth, the Beto scenario, right. Where people are giving you millions of dollars to, continue to lose mm-hmm. people start rethinking. And the next thing you know, you're just marked as the guy who loses races. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's a perfect little leg up. If she didn't leverages that towards something, maybe even another seat that she could possibly pull off with the amount of attention she's gotten from this race. Yeah, absolutely. House district 15, Steve
1: Toth wins 69.2% to Maris Blair's 30.8%. Um, again, I know a lot of people were shocked, um, you know, Maris uh, came out in 11th hour again Mm -hmm. um, and, and filed. um, And, you know, she's a big name, I think in the law, uh, you know, arena there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of money behind that name. um, And, you know, a lot of people were nervous for, for the Toth campaign as to whether or not he was going to be able to weather the storm. uh, But he handled it, Easily, uh, his numbers have actually gone up. Um, you know, I think largely because of redistricting, but even over previous sessions, you know, 2018 and um, 2014, um, he, he's up to about 70 percent of the vote now. I think that's you know, that's a shellacking here in Montgomery County, yeah. So um, congratulations to uh, Representative Toth for that. Um, that's impressive numbers. Um, and then House District 16, you know, Will Metcalf 100% of the vote, just like the senators. Uh, you know, apparently he's doing such a fine job up there that nobody wants to throw their hat in the ring against him. So we're going to move on to the uh, county on
0: the Democrat side either. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right.
1: So, yeah, congratulations, representative Metcalf for winning 100% of the vote. And now your seat back again, guaranteed. (laughs) Great job. All right. uh, Montgomery County judge. I thought this was an interesting race. Um, I was very surprised to see the two opponents against somebody as popular as Mark Keogh. Um, Billy makes sense a little bit. I was very surprised when Sarah Countryman threw her hat ring. Uh, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, thoughts?
3: I didn't appreciate as a voter. Now I know all three uh-huh. um, and I have respect for all three. I, I didn't appreciate as a voter, the mudslinging and I'm going to tell you why. And it's not because it is politics. I understand that politics you've got to try to be on top, you know, of, of your opponent so that you You know, you can wind up the winner at the end. That's the goal. Um, But this county, or maybe it's just politics in general, it doesn't seem to me that they think six steps ahead of the damage that they're trying to do right now to the other candidate. For example, let's just say there was enough, or maybe there's still a chance that this could happen. Um, You slung through so much mud at Judge Keogh, right, that here come the Democrats and they say, hey, there's got to be something there. So let's fool our people and say, hey, the county judge office is corrupt. The county judge uh, oversees the commissioner's court. The commissioners are all corrupt. As a Democrat, this is candy in a candy store. I mean, you are just being given, you know, ammo for food, fuel to, to just take down the Republican party. And you got to think this way because this is unconventional. You know, the times that we're in and the warfare, you can't just go and and want to shake hands with your, your, uh, the Democrat. There's no negotiation. There's no sitting in the same room and trying to come to an agreement. In mm-hmm. my experience, coming from socialists and communist countries, we're past that. This is, this isn't, that's why we're losing America. So, um, seeing the behavior going on at that race, at that level, of course, other races as well, commissioners, which will come to that. Yeah. It was a huge turnoff. It was a turnoff. Uh, I found it to be despicable uh, in, in certain ways because you're not doing it for love of country at this point. You're doing it out of ambition, mm-hmm. out of anger, out of hatred, out of uh, uh, re- revenge, which is something recurring uh, themes that I see in many people running for office here in the county
1: one of my favorite sayings of all time is this and this comes from uh the late great ravi zacharias he said don't sling mud two things happen when you sling mud get your hands dirty and you lose a lot of ground uh, and i just yep. i love that saying yep well,
2: <laughs> well i think a lot of the problems with these politicians and i've seen it from dan crenshaw is just mm-hmm. they're they have zero bedside manner in a lot of ways they're not very tactful in their delivery so there's a way to talk about these issues whether or not you thought the county shut down certain businesses was constitutional, Mm -hmm. whether or not you thought a DUI or or whatever the charge was, Mm -hmm. and then the taxpayer having to pay money for a driver is a good resource, whether or not the commissioner's court and how they do the consent agenda is a good issue. There's a way to communicate that tactfully. Mm -hmm. It's not just mudslinging. So just across the board, I think that's something politicians or anybody should do. Candidates should do better of, of, explaining the issues and not making it so personal
1: well yeah that it needs to be a policy issue right Right. if it's a policy issue then that that's legitimate you know they
2: make it the way they deliver Mm -hmm. it it just becomes a personal attack and there's a way to deliver it where you can focus on policy and then the the end user the the citizen takes away well yeah and why did that person do that so there's a way to do it that doesn't come off so bad Well,
0: right. I think playing the financial game with that mm-hmm. too of the financial burden that's one thing all conservatives have in common is like do we really want money being spent on that you know keeping it about what's actually happening the policy the finances the different things in the county instead of making it personal that's yeah that's yeah that's where you disconnect from a lot of people a lot of educated voters when you start when i when you start seeing like we talked about earlier you, know, you start losing a lot of those when you start making it a personal thing and you're not understanding why that person's doing that other than it being a, a strategy to win their campaign so and mm-hmm. that,
2: that's what i think in the county judge uh, campaign and, you know billy Graf's a friend of mine mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know I, I i never personally saw a lot of mudslinging in that but it definitely got, i'd heard about it, it got ugly uh, between all three of them so yeah
1: yeah no i know you know i know all three of them as well um and i I like all three of them personally. You know, I don't have, I, I'm so sick and tired and you know, maybe yeah, well, this, you know what? It's in company. We're going to get into this. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sick and tired of the stupid civil war in the Montgomery County Republican party. Mm-hmm. I have friends on both sides of that and I'm just over it, you know, and I can be friends with everybody on, on those different sides. You know, I look, as conservatives, all right, we hold the individual as sacred. And as conservatives, we need to hold the individual responsible uh, for their actions and for what they do, right? It's that simple. It's not a us versus them sort of thing. You know, I, if I don't like you personally, it's going to be because it's you did X, Y, and Z. All right, that's fine. That's legitimate. But, you know, we don't have to have this complete political infighting over that.
0: Right you know it's ridiculous we want to call ourselves anti cancel culture but we're one of the leading proponents for pushing it on a local level yeah right christians and conservatives alike we've been huge advocates for cancel culture style you know politics and 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 everything going on in the culture and then you know now we're trying to fight it and it's like well we kind of played this game with them right mm-hmm. we've played this game the same way that they're playing it mm-hmm. and now you're seeing that just like you're talking about is you know, do we, we need to open, we need to open up and understand that we don't have to put uh, these personal attacks, these different strategies on people, almost like there's no grace, right? Yep. We're talking about being a proponent of grace. And we say we stand for these Christian values and yet there's no forgiveness on any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you make it personal and you start doing things like that, then you take that completely out of it. It's like, okay, isn't this against everything that you stand for as a candidate? Um, I thought you weren't for this type of culture and that people need second chances and things happen. And, you know, there's all of these different you know, parts that play into this, but I think it's important that we, we lead away from cancel culture and, in even our local elections and get away from that. And so it's not
2: happening anymore. But and, and there's a fine line there too. Like, on a, and I'm not advocating for personal tax, but like we, of course. Sh- we have to be able to talk about issues. We have, sure. to, we have to be able to have an open dialogue on if someone doesn't believe in section 230 needs reform mm-hmm. and that, that we should just allow big tech to continue to censor conservative viewpoints. I should be able to uh, to discuss that issue and not make it look like it's a personal attack. So there's a fine line there, yeah. For sure. Um, and even in the county, I mean, look, I'm not part of. Look, I, I, I'm from here. I grew up here, but mm-hmm. I don't understand all the politics. I still don't, as a former congressional candidate, all these different packs and how all yeah. the history of how they all hate each other. Yep. Um. But we there are there is common ground among all the various packs uh, that. We we need to come to like we we all want to close the border. We mm-hmm. all want to secure a future for our children. End we, end. All
1: right? <laughs> and we all hate socialism, right? We all hate socialism. Absolutely.
2: There are common themes yeah. that uh, I think the various packs and groups can agree with.
0: So yeah, absolutely. You know, packs that line up completely in value that still are enemies, and you're mm-hmm. just trying to understand that when you're reading this pack and you're reading this pack, <clears throat> you guys stand for the same thing. All right, we're all
1: Republicans here, is that right? <laughs> okay, so here's the question: Would any of us disavow Ronald Reagan? No. No. Okay. Would any Republican in Montgomery County disavow Ronald Reagan? Yet. Hope not. Yet. You know, we're not going to be big tent Republicans anymore. What's that about? That is in your actions to a degree with, you know i would say the extremes of of this civil war within the republican party you're disavowing the very conservative uh you know m- movement in that what brought us together and unified us as as a party sure. and th- of course there's always room like you you're saying and i 100% agree with you to get this movement to be more conservative constantly and you know but i don't want to burn the whole thing down because i have a couple of rhinos over here i'd rather try to convert them and win them over you know what i'm saying
2: yeah i agree i think you just mm-hmm. have to lead from the right
1: yeah exactly opinion.
2: you have to lead from the right mm-hmm. and uh, in a lot of ways i mean there's not a lot of difference between Republicans and democrats on some of these issues so sure you really sure. have to pay attention to that
0: yeah but i think that's when you also talk about liberal <laughs> liberal in the true meaning of the word mm-hmm. i think a lot of those voters now they've got this place they kind of sat center aisle for some time and with their party being so radically left and so much of their leadership being so radically left, they're gonna need to find a place to set. And mm-hmm. if their party, they're, they're to the point now, we don't have to get like that, right? They're to the point now where if you're not part of that agenda, you're kind of just a cast out. You're not really going to be accepted. And they're in that complete, you know, back and forth. It's always going on right now between the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Republicans over here have the opportunity right now to that liberal mindset is not a bad thing, right? To talk about things and to defend someone's right to talk about something. Mm -hmm. He's talking
2: about classical liberalism, which values individual liberty.
0: Right. right. And and that's part of what their party was originally founded on. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's moved so much of that through the socialist. And you can say it came from, uh, any president really, you know, uh, you could say it started even with Clinton moving as the last possible liberal leaning at the time. He was much more than he is today. Right. And then you're moving into the Obama administration, just kind of catapulted that movement to- towards that socialist leaning president. Um, but it's yeah, it's so interesting to um, to bring that mindset back in and give those people a place to be giving those liberal thinkers who have been center aisle, but Hey, I just, I want to be able to do what I want to do. Right. The libertarian party that's kind of dissolved these days Mm -hmm. that used to be real strong there when they didn't have a voice, um, bringing those people back under the party that they truly belong to. Right. And showing that we're willing to work with different people and we're willing to talk about issues Mm -hmm. and not be the ones that are closed door. Well, if you don't believe what I believe, then you're out. So, so in essence, what
1: you're, what you're, I think, Hinting out here is you look at somebody like Bill Maher, where like twenty years ago I couldn't stand the guy, but now I'm looking at it, it's the same guy. He hasn't really changed, you know. But Bill Maher is a lot closer to me politically now than somebody like AOC, right? Yeah, for sure, you know. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying is it's time to start recruiting some of these, you know, liberals uh, into maybe the big tent, if you will just to stop the crazy leftism, you know, and then hopefully court them into becoming more and more conservative as time goes well, on. You're not,
2: you're never going to agree with everybody on everything. So right. yeah. things that are very important to me are free speech mm-hmm. and individual liberty. So that's the kind of the classical liberal mindset. Yeah. So if you can bring some of those folks in, we, we may not agree on the size of government. Mm-hmm. We may not agree on, um, religious liberties, but we can agree on some core things that are in our bill of rights and passed to us through natural law. So that's a good thing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. agree.
2: All right.
3: I think we need to bring in new people. I I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, Hispanic community. I'm, I'm, I'm going to push for it because what we see, uh, I'm not talking about, let's say the Hispanics who've been here two or three generations who have been brought up or raised in the system and they don't know, you know, the experiences or stories of, of the Latin American Hispanics. Um, When you get Latin Americans coming in uh, or stepping up because they're waking up to what's going on and they see the nonsense that's going on in Montgomery County politics, Mm. they head home. They're like these, and and I feel that way too. I'm like, y'all are not ready for prime time. When you're mudslinging, when you're here because of your ego or your ambition uh, and your hatred, your anger, your desire for vengeance is more than your love of country you have no business being here. You're not ready for prime time and we need a clean house. Cause I've seen it. I've seen it at the CEC. I've seen it at the precinct chair level. I've seen it uh, with the different packs that one is supposed to be better than the other one is more conservative than the other. It's always somebody attacking someone else. It has to end. And I think the only way to do it is you bring in new people. Mm-hmm. That's it. Cause they can't get along. They can't figure it out. They can't see socialism, you know, at our doorstep. Mm-hmm. They, they don't get it. They don't get it. They, it's like a, uh, they can't see past ambition and hatred and anger. So we don't have time for that. It's time to move on without them. The, there's yeah. no
2: doubt we're losing our country. Mm-hmm. We're losing our state. We're losing our liberty. Yeah. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I and mean, it's going to be too late. Yeah. It's, it's going to be too late. And one day we're going to wake up and go, what happened to our country?
1: Yeah, here we are in the in the house arguing about whether or not cake or pie is better. In the meantime, we have you know people outside the house trying to burn it down. Right.
2: right. <laughs> I just think we need a more educated citizenry on Mm -hmm. not only politics and law, but how the world works in general. Mm -hmm. And look, that's going to be the challenge of, of, of of our country's history to get more people involved in, in what's going on. But that's what it's going to have to take.
1: I agree. I agree for sure. All right. Let's try to wrap up this. Uh, We have a couple County commissioner court um, races, the justice of the pieces, uh, okay. JP's 100%. No contest every single one of them didn't have an opponent they all won um, and then we have our County Court Law guys um, so Commissioner Riley commissioner precinct two versus Jennifer Eckhart um, That was a she drew some blood there for Charlie Riley which I find interesting you know um, he he's always gotten an above 60 65% of the vote uh, this time around he got 56% uh, to Jennifer Eckhart's 43.5%. She did pretty good job for what what she had going on with, with her campaign there, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: for sure.
2: I, I met Jennifer Eckhart probably last summer and didn't mm-hmm. know who she was. I sat down next to her at an event yeah. and she said, have you ever reviewed the FEMA maps? And I said, um, yeah, I reviewed them in my capacity as a lawyer, you know, working on environmental law issues. She's like, we really need to do something about that work with the county. I'm Jennifer Eckhart. I'm going to run for uh, county commissioner. And she had already talked to the Corps of Engineers. She had looked at all the FEMA maps, the flood maps. She talked about drainage with the creeks. I was like, wow, this is a really, she's really educating herself on these issues, Mm -hmm. on these drainage issues. And I was impressed with her then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she didn't have a lot of resources. She didn't get some endorsements she didn't get the money that uh right she she but for to draw that much of the vote personally i was impressed with her at at the amount of questions and and issues that she raised
1: she was such a nice person i was working the polls uh, i was helping out uh cecil bell um and i was standing right there next to her and we just started talking and you know it's one of those things like i know charlie i'm you know i'd say i'm friends with charlie he's a good guy shake his hand whatever he's always nice to me Uh, You know you I'm not endorsing anybody politically here, but Jennifer was just as lovely and just as nice and that's the thing that drives me crazy going back to our previous conversation about the Civil War here is I can like Jennifer Eckhart and get along just fine with her, and I can also like Charlie Riley and get along just fine with him, and it's not a really big deal, and I don't see how that compromises me somehow as a Republican, and my soul is
2: doomed. <laughs> yeah, no, I think with Eckhart, what was impressive for me was yeah. just her inquisitiveness inquisitiveness and yeah. she wanted to solve these issues that have been persistent for a long time and i was impressed by that
1: yeah no i i found her to be an impressive uh candidate as well uh absolutely um
0: well, yeah she had that going for her and and honestly you know it was charlie riley his reputation and different things that have happened since he's been in that seat. There's Mm -hmm. been year over year over year of little things going towards that weakening of his hold on that seat. Mm -hmm. And so I really honestly believe that this was her time to shine. I thought, okay, she might actually have a chance because she cared so much Mm -hmm. coming in, you know, this, she wasn't an opponent of his that she was taking this seriously and she was really wanting to shake things up and, and she really cared about, cared about the County. And um, I thought this was a good chance for him to actually be ousted. I think mm-hmm. it, it was uh, definitely close, um, but I think it was definitely something that was going to happen. And then, you know, as the night went on, some of that turnout that just happens to be there for him those those wholehearted uh, Charlie Riley fans that follow mm-hmm. him around everywhere he goes uh, they they showed up for him for sure and allowed him to eke out that win. So
1: yeah, Commissioner Four, uh, Precinct Four, uh, James Metz lost his primary uh which i don't think a lot of people saw coming i don't know really i'm going to be honest i don't know much about this race i don't know matt gray i don't know james metz either um but you know for somebody in montgomery county politics
2: to lose their um you know seat um i think that's noteworthy i've known matt gray for almost 30 years oh great um when he announced I knew he'd win. And, and I'm not trying to just say that uh, he just, mm-hmm. everything he's done, he's from East Montgomery County, grew up with him. I played football with him, went to high school with him, spent many years hanging out with him. Everything he does is hundred percent. So he went all out. He went to all the MUD meetings. He went to the neighborhood association meetings. He just built a base. He would go to all the elementary schools and talk to the teachers. And uh, I just knew he would win. I mean, he's, he's a smart guy. Mm -hmm. He's worked in the oil and gas industry. I think he has a master's degree. He's, he's done a lot in business. Um, and he has ideas, he has fresh ideas and I think people out in East Montgomery County, I grew up out there are looking for some fresh ideas. They're Mm kind of, they've seen the growth, they've seen the problems and they wanted some fresh ideas. So I, I thought Matt would do well. And again, all his family and friends are out there. Yeah. You know, it really helps to have that network in place. And, uh, he won and I'm proud of him. He's a good guy. He's going to do a good job and nothing against Mr. Metz, but uh, it was just kind of the right time for Matt. He worked hard.
1: Mm, great. All right. County court at law, John Hayfley beat out Brian Kane, 72.98% to Brian's 27%. That was a hard race for me because I liked both of those guys. Uh, Brian and I have a lot in common because Brian has a master's degree in history and of course he's also a lawyer and I find law fascinating. Um and so that was just I had fun just going back and forth and, you know, having that sort of conversation with Brian. But uh John Hafley, uh, you know, brigadier general, um, also a lawyer. Um, he I, I really like John as well. So, you know, no matter who you voted for in that race, in my opinion, um, you couldn't lose. Uh, both were great guys. Um the Amy Tucker and Laura Watson, Amy Tucker won pretty handily over, uh, Laura Watson as well. 68.35%. to uh, Watson's 31.65%. Anybody have any comments on that race?
0: Um, well, I feel like Amy was definitely the one putting in the effort, mm-hmm. the ground game effort does, you know, putting out signs, meeting, greeting people, staying out in the community. I mean, she was hustling. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas Laura Watson, I mean, political events, things like that for sure. Uh, but community events, I just didn't really see her out there very much. The one, the
1: one thing I can say about Laura Watson that I think she did a really good job was the, the color choices of her signs. Her signs were like pop. When you saw a Laura Watson sign, you could see it from a mile away. Uh, And uh, that was that was interesting. You know, she picked the yellow and the red Mm. uh, colors, which, you know, we're all politicians and we're Republican and we're red, white and blue. Go America. That's that's every campaign sign that you see in America. And for her to go with that choice, I thought was interesting. But
0: it's eye catching. Yeah. And Amy Tucker's one of those people. I don't know how many I don't think she has any enemies. It feels like everybody seems to like her. Everyone has a good opinion about her. And I think that really went heavy in her favor uh, because anybody you talked to that knew her or has done anything with her, they all spoke so highly of her. So mm-hmm. it goes a long way when you're not going around burning bridges your whole career. And then, you know, you have to you know, come in an election like this. And mm-hmm. I think it spoke in volume for her seat specifically. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. echo Hudson,
1: 63.46% to Mr. Miller's 36.5%. Mr. Miller, I never met the guy. I don't even know why he, ran against her uh in my opinion um i adore echo hudson Uh, i had her on the show she was fantastic um i what a compelling story and uh, the you can just see the passion in her eyes when she talks about you know the kind of law that she practices um there's no question tim in
0: my opinion that she was the right person for that for that job yeah and again high high hype campaign you know everywhere Mm -hmm. she was everywhere her name stands out on everything she did a really good job of taking something that's not a very big seat right but Mm -hmm. getting the exposure out there and going at it heavily yeah and
2: she has so much experience in the in the domestic violence space as the chief prosecutor over there and and uh you know i think she's going to do a good job so no surprise there as well
0: yeah i think gary was able to pull out as many votes as he did just based on his network Mm-hmm. So his, his network is pretty dense. Um, he does have a, a fairly good amount of people who support him and follow him. So I think what he was able to eke out was based on that alone. Cause like you said, I mean, nobody really knew who Gary Miller was. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't really hitting up a lot of events talking about who he was and what he was doing. So Valdez 100%. And
1: what's crazy about this race is it's uncontested. It was an open seat and Nobody contested it in the primary, and she has no opponent in the in the uh, general election either. So she just walked in, filed, filled out the paperwork, and won that seat. <laughs> Valdez,
3: that's right.
1: You know, so that's, that, right. That, that's unheard of. Uh, so congratulations to her. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And of course our last race that's worth mentioning was, uh, our chairman, our county chairman, Brian Christ, uh, won 100% of his, uh, votes as well because he was unopposed and, uh, I think he's been doing a pretty good job. So, uh, there we have it. That's, that's pretty much everything all the way down from governor, all the way down to party chair. Um, is there, does anybody have any last final thoughts about what,
3: uh, you know, for, uh, about this, uh,
1: primary election?
3: I do. I have a, uh, a- a strong comment. It's uh, regardless it, whether you're candidate of choice one or not. This is greater than that, right? We're moving into November. This is about the country. This is about saving the country from socialism, from the commiecrats, from the far, far, far left sharp turn that we've ter- taken in the country. Um, and if you don't get it or you don't see it, I, I don't know how to help you. I, I really don't. It's, it's almost like... I guess I can't help you if you're more willing to put your ego or ambition or hatred for a candidate or a party uh, above your country. Yeah. So this going into November, we have to stand behind our Republican candidates. Take it home, bring it home.
1: Yeah. I like to refer to them as the Neo Jacobins. Uh, That's what we're facing. We're facing people that want to tear down every single institution in America the way that they did in the French revolution. And we cannot allow them to win um, because every every revolution that's happened in the world besides the american revolution has been fa- uh based off of rousseau and his whole ideology you're talking about the french revolution the um the russian revolution the chinese revolution uh the cuban revolution uh what we're seeing in venezuela now all of it it's all based off of that and in marks based everything he wrote on about um in the communist manifesto off of Rousseau as well. That's what we're facing. That's what these people are trying to do. They're trying to tear down everything that we stand for every institution that we hold dear. That's what we need to keep at the forefront of our mind. Like you said, uh, we have to support our, our Republican candidates, even if you're not happy with them.
2: I, <clears throat> excuse me, I agree wholeheartedly. And where we are now is we're in a counter revolution, the American revolution, just kind of how, how you, uh, how you put that, but we need to make sure that our Republican candidates win, but we need to make sure they're not weak. And we, may, we need to make sure that we hold them accountable. So mm-hmm. I'm sick of these weak, timid, tepid Republicans that just fall to pieces when they face this left wing militant opposition. Mm-hmm. And we need to fight just as hard as they do on these issues. And we need to play to win the game, not mm-hmm. just play to play.
0: Yeah, that's good. And, and also remember we have the runoff coming up. Uh, So it's important that these candidates that still are going to need help, uh, educate yourself, educate yourself on the candidate. It's so important that we do that. Um, Now is your chance. You may have not have educated yourself, you know, for the primary, but figure out who you most agree with. Uh, It's so important that we we get people that are educated voters, not just out there to vote. Um, You know, let's 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 frame this thing. Let's get it to the get it to November like we're talking about. But uh, let's not forget about the candidates who are still gonna need our help. Let's turn out the vote. Let's get the runoff in the direction with the candidates that deserve those spots.
1: Awesome. Well, I'd like to thank each and one of you for coming on the show today. Jonathan, it was great to have you uh, back. Mariana, it was great to have you back. Colton, it was great to have you. Um, We'd also like to thank Docline for providing us this awesome space and uh, for the opportunity to get in front of the camera once again. Uh, And finally, I'd like to thank you, our audience, which is growing, and we're super excited about that. So keep tuning in. We'll keep producing content for you. We hope that you get a lot of value out of this stuff. The whole purpose behind all of this is to educate people about what's going on. And so thank you guys all for, again, showing up and uh, helping in that process. Because like you said, Jonathan, that's what's super important for us moving forward. Um, thank you once again for uh, another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.